afternoon from the heart of Fred Alley, my friends. You know, I ran into a lighter fluid uh, uh, shortage this weekend. My oh, really? Friend. Yeah, I had to start my coals from my smoker uh, like paleo man, man. Some type of caveman trying to create fire. What would you use uh, as an accelerant in, in place? Um, uh, profanity. I found profanity works really, really well. Like in <laughs> Ghostbusters too, when they just start swearing at like the slime and it percolates <laughs> yeah, with hate. Exactly. Yes. Speaking of Ghostbusters, so I saw <laughs> Ghost first returned to the theater in two years. Took my kids to the IMAX at Chattanooga AMC 18. Yeah. Yeah. Saw Ghostbusters Afterlife. Walked out torn. Really? I think it's a good like movie to take your family to. Uh-huh. One thing that annoyed me, though, is it's like this trend of movies that's been going on for a while where it's just like, instead of having a substantial plot, it's like, hey, remember that? Remember this reference? Remember that uh, thing from the movie? Yeah, yeah, remember yeah. this thing? The Force Awakens kind of did that well, the Star Wars one, but this one, eh, could have coasted on the story. But all in all, pretty decent. Pretty okay, decent. cool. All right. Anyway, today we got a great show coming at you. We have Mark Cushing, founder and CEO of Animal Policy Group, and he's going to be talking about the importance and value of pet-friendly animal policies for office workers, factory workers, and truck drivers. Big topic during the Great Resignation. How do you oh, make yeah. the job sticky, and how do you make it attractive to other workers? We have Brian Buckley. He's the CEO and founder of Hellmand Valley Growers Company. Now, he is a Marine Raider. He's a veteran. Once a Marine, always a Marine. So I don't want to say former Marine, because you, you're always a Marine. Yeah, no. He has a cannabis company that donates 100% of the profits to studying how cannabis can treat PTSD, chronic pain, and other veteran issues. And he talk about some of the, not just the company, but some of the supply yeah. chain issues that has been hampering him. Very cool. Patty, Patty Pappas, co-founder of Hello Again, she has a very unique cannabis product she'll be telling us about. And she'll be talking about how it isn't the flour, right, or the oils that has been a problem, but all the other components. So that'll be exciting oh. to learn about. Oh, okay. Andy Owens is CEO at AM Transport. He's going to share his thoughts on workforce development and trucking. And Steve Ferreira, founder and CEO at Ocean Audit, Inc., he's going to hit us with his latest port report. We'll find mm. out how containers are flowing as we race towards Thanksgiving. But first, let's tip the band. Redwood, a leading logistics platform company, has provided solutions for moving and managing freight for more than 20 years. The company's diverse portfolio includes digital freight brokerage, flexible freight management, and logistics consulting, all wrapped into a revolutionary logistics and technology delivery model. Logistics platform is a service that's their LPAS. Redwood lives at the intersection of logistics and technology, connecting its customers with the technology, talent, and expertise they need to win, contact Redwood at Tellum, dude. Hey, redwoodlogistics.com. Let's talk to the founder and CEO of Ocean Audit, <laughs> Steve Ferrer. I see him right there. Steve, thanks for joining us this morning. Hey, Tim. Great to see you. Hey, holidays are coming up, Steve. There's been a lot of turkeys in the supply chain. Let's start positive, Steve. What are you thankful for? Well, you know, I could give you the stock answer of my family and my health, and uh, those are all sincere uh, uh, ingredients uh, towards a great Christmas, uh, Thanksgiving feast. But I have to thank my clients, and I have to also thank the whole concept of container getting. Mm. I mean, I certainly feel I've, uh, even though it's been drastic for uh, the import community, um, certainly with rates uh, uh, quadrupling, the number of errors that I found for my clients have quadrupled. So I've been a direct beneficiary of that as well. Yeah, so uh, Steve, uh, good morning, by, or good afternoon, by the way. Welcome to the show. Uh, hey, let's, take, let's take the other side, Steve. Who's the, who's the biggest turkey? Who's your turkey this year, man? Uh, government. <laughs> government. <laughs> is that your stock yearly answer, or is that uh, new this year? 
<laughs> no, I just feel that, uh, you know, um, you know, when, when the government came out and said, hey, you know, we're going to run these ports 24 uh, seven. That's the first thing the American public uh, sees that, you know, the government is while well, really proactively mm. taking the bull by the horns. But the reality is, is that uh, very little, uh, if anything, the government had a big stick. Uh, and started whacking people around, but uh, I think it's private sector that's helped uh, to you know start to mitigate a little bit of container getting. So are conditions improving at all? Let's talk about this because the White House they put out a blog last week. They were touting some of the uh, empties that had been moved uh, out of there, but at the same time, and as the LA Times was putting out poor congestion eases, we had like eighty six container ships out at sea, record numbers. And I know that we're also pushing them like 150 miles out. So what's going on at the ports as we head into Thanksgiving? I think you see a dichotomy of two different things happening here, Tim. You know, you have uh, new what we call uh, sweeper vessels. And for those uh, in your audience that don't know what a sweeper vessel is, it's really a a separate non-scheduled vessel that's designed to come into a port and remove uh, containers, in this case, the idea is to get the empty containers uh, back onto a ship so the chassis are freed to take the loads, uh, the congested loads out of the port. And the problem right now is that the Port of L.A. and Los Angeles have uh, compelled a $100 plus port fee for containers starting today. Now, we don't know whether or not that that will be waived again. I'm betting almost the, the, the ranch that uh, that uh, fee, that dwell fee, we call it, will be waived. So it's the, the fact is that, is that we've really not had much success in uh, moving the loads out. If you look at the number of loads uh, in Port of L.A., uh, Long Beach a week ago, they're very much the same as what they are today. I just checked the stats before we went on air. So I think it's really two factions fighting here where we have to get the empties out to, su- to support the chassis. But on the other hand, you're right, we have um, 80 plus vessels still due in. So it's almost like a never-ending cycle that uh, is not really going to go away on its own. It, it isn't, Stephen. I'm interested with these with these sweeper vessels that are that are coming in and taking these. We've talked about this before, but we've been having issues with getting exports out. Right, our main export is air, but we've had exporters complaining about the exports not going out of here. Does this muddy the waters, or do you feel like this is going to actually be a fix? I, I think that uh, the sweep of vessels and the opportunity to move some of the uh, the empty containers. Keep in mind, some of the uh, we don't have all the information yet on some of the uh, uh, vessels that have been nominated to do this uh, manipulation, Michael. But they're they're fairly small, um, two thousand, three thousand uh, container capacity, and and many of the experts uh, that I've been watching the comments flying around on LinkedIn this morning, uh, many experts don't feel that this is sufficient enough. So it really is kind of a chicken-egg theory in terms of how it impacts both importers, exporters. And it's almost like a chess match. Uh, at this point, kind of, you know, Rook takes pawn. Um, the jury's still out in terms of who's going to make the next move. I think some of the criticism with uh, your turkey of the year has been the way that they've been framing things. And you mentioned that dwell fee, right? And how it was supposed to go into effect last week on Monday, and it did not. And it got pushed forward to today. And you said you're pretty certain it won't go through. But the port was like, no, we're not pushing it through because we've been doing such an amazing (laughs) job and our partners have been doing such an amazing job. Are you saying that that's not the case? (laughs) Yeah, it's funny. Uh, Perception's everything, right? And I started to look at uh, the dwell fee and the matrix being put out by the port of Los Angeles. And I I saw in the bottom right-hand corner, you know, put out by the marketing department, right? And I thought to myself, this is really unusual that our marketing department is putting out information on such a sensitive issue. 
Um, so no, <laughs> frankly, the numbers speak for themselves. I mean, if you look at a couple thousand containers, you know, from, you know, two weeks ago versus now, if you call that progress and I mean, I guess you could call anything progress, but I just don't look at that. The fact that they're making really any kind of progress. And this is really, this fee, this fee was really designed to try to get some movement on getting uh, vendors uh, like, like uh, the ocean vendors to bring in sweep of vessels. Of course, if you bring in a sweep of vessel, that's a pretty good size expense. And then, so the thought is, is that, well, you know, you guys made so much profit. I think what the government is thinking is that they're almost, it's almost as if they're almost penalizing these foreign based ocean carriers for making too much money. So it's a very uh, um, fluid situation. It's very interesting. Now, Steve, with, with the high freight volumes and, and, and all sorts of new fees, yeah. right? And you got the high freight volumes, you got all these new fees. All this means is new and more invoices and more complicated invoices, right? Can you talk about that, uh, the auditing of these invoices, how important that has become right now? It's, it's got to be more essential than ever. Well, I, I joked at the beginning of the show, I'm thankful for Container Geddon. And of course, you know, uh, I'm always protecting in my client's interest. But the bottom line is that two years ago, on a $1,100 fee, uh, maybe there was a $100 overcharge, right? Today, on a six or $7,000 fee, there could be an $800 or $900 overcharge. And I just spoke to a major importer this morning about that. And they said, hey, we're getting double billed. We're getting billed for the same container number. You know, um, every three weeks, that number comes through again. And, you know, it's, it's, I think the bottom line here, Michael, is that the ocean vendors have de facto said to the BCOs, we are not your back office accounting accounting department. If you're going to send us a payment and you're going to pay an invoice, you, the BCO, have to make sure it's right. I think that's why a lot of BCOs are turning now to uh, auditing services, uh, even uh, services like I offer, to make sure that they do get it right. Steve, before we let you go, let me ask you something. We invite you over for the What the Truck Thanksgiving. What are you bringing? Well, oh, well, I, I'm going to bring... Um, a deck of playing cards with Container Geddon with the Joker being the uh, the Biden administration. Look, we don't even get. Look, <laughs> wow. Did you know that the we're going to talk about this later? Big deal, little deal. But a turkey is up like a Thanksgiving meal is up fourteen percent. Yeah, you barely get anything with that list, and he's bringing a deck of cards. <laughs> what a shark! <laughs> Next time, bring a pumpkin pie and some whipped cream. Thanks, Steve. Yeah, we're already <laughs> out ten percent more. Steve, where right do now we, he's going to take our money. Steve, where do we send them to to uh, learn more and get their audits looked at? I mean, their invoices audited. Well, you can always follow me on LinkedIn. I've got a huge presence there or Steve F at OceanAudit.com or, you know, just uh, ping me on link LinkedIn is the easiest. So thank you so much for the for the great opportunity to work with your, the, the Freight Waves audience. Thank you, Steve. We Thanks, appreciate Steve. it. Yeah, I don't know. All right. I'm rescinding my um, my, my thanks. Did he see invitation. the question beforehand or what? I, I, I don't know. Like it's ready for that one. A deck of cards. <laughs> I got a deck of cards, Steve. You're going to have to try harder next time. Andy <laughs> Owens, CEO at AM Transport, is joining us now. And he thinks that the trucking industry could do a better job of engaging workforce development boards. Okay. And we'll find out about that. I haven't thought too much about this one. I don't know that much about workforce development boards. So nope. I'm excited to learn a thing or two from Andy. Andy, thanks for joining us today. You're very welcome, gentlemen. Thanks for having me this morning. Um, I, Jesus, first time I've sat in on your show, and you guys have got a lot of energy. Um, kind of, <laughs> kind of fun to Thanks for having me. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> hey, for, uh, before know. we jump into that, hold on. Where, where are you sitting right now? I, uh, where, where are you guys located? So I'm in Southern Oregon. Uh, I like to say go Ducks, but after we got our families whooped by Utah uh, Saturday, <laughs> I'm going to just be a little bit quiet on that. Yeah. Uh, but I'm in Southern Oregon. Um, uh, I uh, currently chair the board for the Oregon Trucking Association, and I sit on several committees for the American Trucking Association. And 
Uh, we're a, a three-generation company here. We run 130 trucks up and down the West Coast. So nice. been in it pretty much all my life. No, nice. I hear you too. You know, I had a parlay going and Oregon, like Baylor and Oregon <laughs> was my did. parlay. You messed that I up. was doing fine. Baylor won. I was expecting a lot of Oregon. And guess what? Nope. It was nope. a rough night for me. And it was a rough right, night man. very quickly. But tell us a little bit about the workforce boards. What's going on with that? Well, so, you know, as it's a, I, I find it's a topic that very few people know much about. And so the workforce boards uh, were created back in uh, 1998 during the Bill Clinton era, his first term in office. And basically what the Workforce Board Act, it's actually called the Workforce um, uh, Innovation and Opportunity Act, uh, acronym WIOA. But it was a, an act that was put in by Congress. And what it basically says is that every square foot of territory in the United States is going to have a workforce board over the top of it. And what these workforce boards do, take federal funds and direct them to your local employment offices and determine also in this thing which sectors they want to support. And I've found that transportation is not a very well supported sector in our workforce boards and, and consequently in our employment offices across the U.S. So I, I got appointed to my board here in, in Oregon um, back in 2015. And if you take a look at any, any state in the nation, if you Google up, you know, Oregon workforce boards, you'll see that there's nine areas of workforce boards. And um, the way that you get uh, appointed to the one of these boards is through a county commissioner or the equivalency of. And so what the idea of the workforce boards is determine what uh, what industries you want to support, which sectors you want to support. And then you allocate funds to help to create a workforce uh, to support those industries. It's kind of a simple concept, quite frankly. It really is. And I, I, I really didn't uh, understand or know much about it. So who needs to get involved with these things? Are we talking about educator? Who, who needs to get involved with these boards and how you do it? Well, so I'm in transportation, obviously. And so transportation is my deal. Um, so my, my goal <clears throat> is to get a, uh, a, a transportation representative on every one of the workforce areas across the United States. And, you know, it's, 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 it's a big push right now. And in Oregon, we've gotten uh, three individuals on the nine workforce boards and soon to have a couple more, it looks like. And, you know, I find what, what I find is people have taken transportation for granted for the most part over the years. Now, of course, with the supply chain crisis and what have you going on currently, um, transportation is kind of front and center and top of mind share. Uh, however, years past, trying to get transportation's fair share of training dollars has been a really a push and, and a struggle to get it. So I, you know, I would encourage anybody to, uh, you know, this got an interest in workforce development, which we all should at this point of the game. Uh, take a look and find out where your, you know, your workforce is. Uh, they all have websites. Uh, contact your county commissioner and uh, show an interest in getting aboard with it. So, and what is the experience like for a uh, a company or a representative who wants to join up with one of these workforce boards? What kind of commitment are we talking about, and and what are they going to take away from something like this? So, you know, like in any volunteer uh, position, you know, you, you can get out of it. You're going to get out of it what you put into it. Uh, you can make it a full-time job or you can make it just a, a hobby. Uh, I chose to get into it kind of with both feet because it's just kind of a passion for me. The more I got into it, um, the more I thought, you know, I can do some good here. And, and I have here in Southern Oregon. And we're really starting to turn the boat here in, in Southern Oregon. Uh, with the three other, the two other uh, workforce areas that we've been able to get uh, transportation represents uh, representatives on. 
Um, the other thing I didn't mention either, uh, we're going to go back to the, what's the, what, what a workforce board looks like. So by, by definition and by law, a workforce board has to be made up of a minimum of 51% private industry representation. So that means that a workforce board um, is going to have at least 51% industry representation. So it can't really be overrun by government government mentality. Workforce and, you know, and industry has has the majority of the votes on how the funding is going to be allocated. Yeah. So, Andy, in your opinion, uh, how can we do a better job of attracting and, and also retraining uh, drivers in our industry? Wow. You know, that is a, that is a real difficult uh, question, and I'm not sure what the solution is because I'm saying I'm in across the industry. We're seeing trucking companies throw every every. I mean, we're as the old saying goes: you you wing enough mud against the wall, something's eventually going to stick. Yeah. And so far, I, I don't know that we found anything that's going to stick yet. I mean, it is just such a turmoil in the trucking industry. I know here throughout pretty much Oregon, um, every, every trucking company has got anywhere from ten to twenty five percent of their fleet parked um, because of uh, lack of drivers. And how do we retain them? You know, we just have to continue to do a better job of um, improving our processes, you know, reaching out to our drivers, finding out, you know, what what are your needs? What do you need more of from us, you know, from management? Um, And I think that's really where it's got to start. Now, do you think engagement with these workforce boards and getting involved with them can, can help keep those trucks rolling and help get drivers in those seats? Well, no, really what it's going to do, it's going to it's going to drive more more government funding, the we owe a funding towards and making it available in our employment offices to train new truck drivers and hopefully to promote the industry more. But one thing the trucking industry has lacked at, lacked at horribly is promoting the industry, just what a great job it can be, because you really can make a good family wage living being a truck driver. Yeah, no, all excellent points, Andy. Thank you for giving us some insight in w- yeah. what goes on with these workforce boards and, and the situation over in Oregon. Before we let you go and you throw out your plug on where to go, you're coming over to the What the Truck Thanksgiving. What are you bringing to our table? So I'm bringing you a turducken. Oh, nice. nice. I'm bringing nice. a fire pit, a couple of guitars. Oh, I love it. Perfect. All right. Man for our own heart over here. We love that. So Andy, where do, people go? Go? Where do people go to learn more and to, uh, you know, busk around the turducken with you? Well, <laughs> Where do they go? Not yeah, like my a website. House, no, what? Do you have a website or a plug we can throw out there? Say again, please. Uh, do you have a website or like a plug or something we can throw out there so people know where to find you? Well, you just go to team-jake.com and that'll get you right to us. Easy enough. Andy, have a happy Thanksgiving. Thanks for coming on the show. Well, thanks for having me. Have a great day. Thank you. Now, our next guest may be one of the most badass guests we've ever had on the show. It's Brian Buckley, CEO, founder at Helmand Valley Glower, Growers Company. And he is also a special operations team commander with the Marine Raiders. And like I said earlier before he came on, Brian, I'm not going to say former Marine because I have some buddies who are Marines. And as they tell me, once a Marine, always a Marine. Thanks for joining us on the show. Hey, awesome to be here. <laughs> that, that, that's really cool. Now, before we get into what you're doing now, that yeah. this job sounds sounds crazy. Special operations team commander for me, Marine Raiders. What does something like that entail? Yeah, you know, it, like people ask me that, and I say it's a lot like the Navy SEALs. We're just better looking. Um, but you know, it's pretty much, um, you know, what, what happened was, um, you know, we Marine Corps for a long time was kind of pushing off being part of Special Operations Command, and then after 9/11, uh, President Bush and then, then Secretary. Uh, 
of defense. Rumsfeld basically told the Marine Corps, we know what you want, but we won't care. We're taking what we need. And they started taking uh, Marines and putting them into the Special Operations Command. And they deemed us Marine Raiders. So, you know, very same thing like you could look at with the Special Forces or SEALs or people like that. Uh, very arduous uh, evaluation process where you have to go through a lot of testing and uh, check out your aptitude, your mental ability, and then also your physical ability when they put you through selection. And, you know, I believe my selection class, we started out with like 250 and about 25 of us made it to the end. So uh, they definitely do a very good vetting process. And uh, it's amazing that the, the, the men you get to work with in those units. I mean, not everyone gets to serve with their heroes, but I certainly did. Wow. Wow. That's impressive. 90 percent they yeah. weed out. That's uh, your top of the top of the top. But and let's talk about that a little bit more. So, Brian, uh, when and why did you start a Hellman Valley Grower Company? You know, it, it really came off from a byproduct of our nonprofit that I started back in 2016 called Bowder Brothers Foundation. That's when I really started noticing what was going on with our American heroes when they were transitioning out of active service. There's a lot of great nonprofits that support them while they're in service, but kind of seemed like there was a void when people left. Um, and it's beginning better, thankfully. There's been a lot of great groups stepping up to help out uh, military veterans. Um, and, you know, we went through a three-tier approach of a personal, medical, and economic, so kind of a big brother, big sister network, help out VA disability claims if you needed treatment, help the veteran get the treatment they needed. And then the last part being the economic phase of helping that veteran find a job so they, you know, in hopes that we can avoid a mistake they can't come back from. And then during all this, you know, I'm 100% disabled myself, 100% post-traumatic stress on top of it, and just was having a horrible time sleeping. And one of my friends recommended medical cannabis to me, and I tried it. I loved it and really started thinking, how can we make a bigger impact with this? So I had an opportunity to talk with some members of Congress and said, what would we have to do to get medical cannabis into the VA system? And they said, if you can get data and get American doctors, you're going to have a good argument. So we were able to partner up with a firm out of Israel called Niamedic Healthcare and Research Services and also uh, University of California at Irvine as our American face. But then we knew, like, how are we going to pay for this? So we looked at a Paul Newman salad dressing bottle where it says 100% of profits to charity. Yeah. So we talked to our lawyer and our CPA, and they're like, you can totally do that. So we said, well, let's go make an adult-use brand that we can launch here in California and keep a, a steady revenue stream going into our nonprofit, and then also see if we can kind of rally the cannabis community around us. So we launched Hellman Valley Growers uh, Company in uh, uh, 2019, we made our first sale February 2nd of 2020 and have been rolling ever since. And literally the funds that we're getting in have helped uh, pay for our medical cannabis research. That well, All of that is incredible. I got to give you a little cowbell for yeah, your really service, is. for all of this, for taking a bad situation, a situation that that isn't exclusive to you, right? A lot of veterans suffer from the same condition. So it was very cool of you to do something that can not just help yourself, but to help a bunch of people who suffer from this. You know, uh, veterans and truckers, they remind me a lot of one another in the sense that a lot of companies will say, thank a trucker, they'll throw the hashtag out, or veterans, they'll come up and they'll put a, they'll put a meme up and they'll thank all the veterans for their service. But when it comes to actually helping them and, and funding programs and all of those kind of things, there's a shortfall, right? There's more companies that could be helping out in that way. Your products, they're marketed. We have some pictures of his products. Can we show those? I found it very interesting because you're marketing in two ways here. You're marketing yeah. not just on to like the veteran market, but you're also marketing a bit on nostalgia. I think one of the lines on there is like, remember that feeling of grinding up the, uh, you know, the bud and <laughs> rolling it up. Talk, yeah. <laughs> talk a little bit about that, about having to become a businessman and actually market these products. Yeah. You, you know, it's, it, 
I had one really, really uh, fantastic businessman who helped mentor me in the beginning. And, you know, he told me, he goes, do you realize what you're sitting on right now? And I'm like, I I don't know. I'm just trying to get this mission done. He goes, you guys have an amazing brand. He's like, I know you guys weren't running around in Helmand province in Afghanistan thinking, oh, hey, we're going to make a really cool cannabis company one day. But he's like, you kind of are because you guys have a brand with a mission, a brand with a soul. And even if you look here at some of our pictures, HVGC, that came from our unit where if you served in the Helmand province, you became part of the Helmand Valley Gun Club. So you get an HVGC tattoo on you. I have one on my bicep. Um, if you look wow. at the star constellation there on the on the cannabis flower, that is a Southern Cross uh, constellation that can only be seen in the South Pacific. So the Marine Raiders of World War II utilized that uh, star constellation to do celestial navigation, get to and from the objective. So we wanted to incorporate that, saying, hey, we've had a lot of great men and women go forward and fight for our country and return in the physical sense, but maybe not spiritually. And here at Helmand Valley Growers Company, we can be that beacon in the night that can lead these veterans to live the American dream they fought so hard to defend. That's uh, really cool. Thanks for those background things, because we'd have never noticed that. I know yeah. I would have. A veteran a, would, though, maybe. Yeah, a veteran. A, veteran, a veteran probably would. I'll have to ask my father-in-law. He probably knows all about it. But uh, uh, so tell me tell me this. How, how is the United States in dealing not only with the post-traumatic stress disorder and that type of stuff, but also utilizing the cannabis? How are we compared to others in the world? You said you're working with some people in Israeli. They've got a fairly badass military. I've been told. How are we advanced as far as other countries like Israel, et cetera, in accepting and making this a priority? You know, it's a very interesting question. I would say in terms of where Israel is compared to the rest of the world, I mean, they're probably like two to three decades ahead of us. They've been looking at this for a while. Uh, Dr. Meshulam is the guy who really started splitting everything and seeing the the benefits of medical cannabis, the discovery of the endocannabinoid system and all that. Now, Actually, it's easier here in America if you're in a state that has medical cannabis program to get a medical cannabis license than it is in Israel where they make you go through like I think like two sets of opiates. And if they don't work, then they'll give you a recommendation for cannabis. Um, But I think we're behind as as a whole in the world. But we're starting to pick up a lot of momentum. I mean, you can look at some of these polls. We work with people in in the government a lot. So, for example, we were talking with a senator in Arizona. And it's like, you know, I'm looking at one of these polls and it says 87 percent of the people in Arizona support the VA giving cannabis to veterans. And I'm like, the way our political climate is today, have 87 percent of the people agree that Monday falls on a Monday. So I'm like, that's almost an overwhelming number where I think we are all starting to kind of catch up. We just got to get our legislative branch on board. And that's where we need the research. Now, it being a schedule one narcotic makes that incredibly difficult. Because essentially, America is saying cannabis is more dangerous than cocaine. Yeah. So, you know, we can start moving that thing down the schedule to get to a schedule three would be amazing because that would take care of some of the tax codes that we have to deal with. But I think there's just so many groups now coming out starting to do the appropriate research. They got some big names behind them. I just think the data is going to be overwhelming that they can't deny it. And probably within the next five years, you're going to see cannabis in the VA system, thus making it federally legal for all patients in America. Yeah, I mean, I agree with you so much, and I love that these use cases and companies are forming around it that validate a lot of these these medical reasons. Because, you know, I went through, like, I'm from Massachusetts, and I went through our pre-legal times to when medical and then recreational. Now I'm in Tennessee, where we haven't gotten to that point yet. Mm-hmm. And when you're in those sort of communities, before they get there, you have, all, you have the people who are against it, and they're like, it's just people who want to get high and people who just want to smoke weed, without realizing how, the, the amazing service that these things can do for PTSD, for depression, for anxiety, for pain. 
cocaine, all things that are treated with narcotics. Marijuana is yep. not the narcotic here. The opiates are, right? What, what, they, yep. what they're putting out there with the dilated and, and Percocets and all Absolutely. that kind of garbage and Xanax and those things. Those are what hurt people. Now, we are in the supply chain mm. crisis, though. Any trouble sourcing your goods? You know, that, that's a very another fascinating question. It, it has been a little difficult, and this is where you really need to plan ahead. Um, for better or worse, I, I think it's worse, we, we get a lot of our supplies from China. Uh, right now, it's almost like I was telling some people it's a perfect storm of events where China is having some energy problems. So they're actually shutting down some of their factories for two days a week. Uh, obviously, we know what's going on here with the trucking industry, where I think that's really the critical vulnerability of our supply chain is we got a lot of things. I'm here in California, so 40 percent of all of our imports come in through Long Beach and Los Angeles. And I was just up in Long Beach last weekend, and it looks like a traffic jam out there. I mean, there's just ships mm-hmm. sitting there waiting and they cannot get anything out there. And, you and you know, with the truckers, you know, I, I get frustrated because you saw what happened with COVID. You had a lot of truckers retire. And then even here in California, we have a, a lot of guys going through, guys and girls going through the truck course, but there's such a backlog at our DMV that they can't get the appropriate license for about another 90 days to 180 days or saying. And then I really look at things too, where I've been paying a little more attention to trucking industries. Like you cannot be, you, you have to be 21 years old to be, to drive a truck. And I'm like, well, why would we let men and women go fight for our country at 18, but we won't let 18 year olds drive a truck? I mean, that could be an amazing right thing for people to come out and go right into that industry. So I think there's some things we got to look at, too. And then, you know, in terms of California, where we are trying to destroy the independent contractor for whatever reason, that's hurting our trucking industry because a lot of truckers <laughs> are independent contractors. So it's just like this crazy, perfect storm walked all at once. This seems like there's solutions, but no one's really getting to them. Yeah, no, I hear you, man. Hey, you're doing you're doing awesome stuff. Before yeah, we let you absolutely. go, we've been asking everyone in this show. Well, actually, you don't have to bring anything. I mean, you're you're you can come over to Thanksgiving for free. But were you to come over, <laughs> what would you be bringing to the table? <laughs> um, how about I bring you some guys from Helmand Valley stuff there before we there get into go. our uh, turkey uh, dinner? I think it would probably uh, enhance our appetites and would probably get all of our money's worth. So uh, that's <laughs> what I'll be bringing. <laughs> there you go. I'll take a little indica. I appreciate it. How do people uh, go on the website and uh, how do they look up what you're doing? Yeah, check us out on uh, www.hvgcompany.com. And if you want to help donate to what we're doing, you can go to www.battlerbrothersfoundation.org and donate there. And uh, check us out, too, on Instagram at HVG Company. We're very active on that. We want to be very transparent about what we're doing and uh, invite you to come along on this mission with us. Doing the Lord's work, man. We appreciate it. Have a very happy Thanksgiving. Thank you for your service. Yeah, thank you for your service, Uh man. Take care. Hey, great stuff. Great stuff. I I really love the mission over there. And, you know, we talked about how he's using it to treat PTSD and from that angle and to make a veteran-friendly brand, which is really important for marketing if you you think about it, right? Sure. Military, a lot of conservative people join the military. They might have certain opinions about marijuana and making a, a brand that can be a home to them, right? Yeah. That, that seems comfortable and welcoming is a huge thing. Now, Patty Pappas is joining us next. She's the co-founder of Hello Again, and she has a niche product designed for women. Women going through a specific period in time. It's really cool. And again, I love hearing these, these use cases. Yeah, as we absolutely. both are advocates for marijuana, right? For oh, yeah, ab- absolutely. Yeah, an alternative medicine. Absolutely. Sure. Patty Pappas, sure. co-founder. Hello again. Thank you for joining us today. Thank you guys for having me. I really appreciate it. Now, this is a cool product, and admittedly, being two gentlemen up here, it's not something that, that we, would, we would use or even know too much about. So let's start with you. Tell us a little bit about the product and the company and the logic behind it. All right. So my partner, Carrie Mapes, and I uh, walked into a dispensary about two and a half years ago, 
And we really had no relationship with cannabis. So um, it was new for us. But we quickly realized that there was so much potential in that plant to, to help us with the symptoms that we were having as women in menopause. So there's anxiety, there's lack of sleep, there's um, temperature regulation, there's mood, there's, you know, all the kinds of things that we were suffering from. The, the people that were working in these dispensaries were telling us cannabis could help us with. So that was really the first uh, light bulb moment that we had. And then we went about to make our product, which is a vaginal suppository, because we can use the power of the cannabis without giving women a head high. And that was really important for us. And it's a consistent product. And I think like your last guest, we're, we were trying to normalize cannabis as a source of wellness for people, for women specifically. So, so um, answer this and answer this for me, because this is a question. Why specifically suppository? What's the advantage there over, you know, smoking or eating it? OK, so when we started looking at the different products for our own uses that were already on the shelves, we, you know, we didn't want to get high. We wanted something to help us and still be able to go about the business of our day. We wanted to be able to sleep at night. And if you had to wake up and, you know, do something, we didn't want to be knocked out. So um, we looked at all the different delivery methods. And when you have an edible, you know, it can be inconsistent between users. It can be even inconsistent between every time you yourself use it. Use it. So um, when it gets digested or goes through your liver, it, it makes it more psychoactive. So as a vaginal suppository, it uploads into your system in a way that we get to use quite a bit of THC in our product, but it does not give you a head high. Interesting. So just on the sort of the, the biological side of it, it are there re receptors w inside the, the vagina that would be welcoming to a suppository and make, uh, you know, be efficient enough use of the cannabinoids that are inside of it? There are, and you would be surprised to know that it's the second most dense place for cannabinoid receptors, second to the brain for women. So it was a perfect system. And another issue that women have as they get older is vaginal dryness. So it's a, it's a natural for that solution as well. So it's really the perfect delivery system. And we, we're so proud of our formula um, because we can, we can use cannabis in a way that provides relief without the head high. Yeah, so uh, a difficult uh, business to be in as far as sourcing and logistics, right? Because you got all different state laws. What are some of the issues you've had? Have you, are you having re uh, sourcing issues? Well, in interestingly, it seems like the sourcing of the actual cannabis these days is the easy part. It's mm -hmm. the it's the access to you know packaging and things. We only can sell our product in the state of California. That's where we manufacture it. And so, you know, it would be great to be able to cross state lines someday with our product, but we can't do that. We're looking into setting up in other states. But um, for us, I think it's the ancillary products. And it's also kind of a, the lack of um, labor, people leaving California for less expensive states. And um, we take a certain amount of education for our products. So when we go out into dispensaries or delivery services, you know, it, it's, it takes a little explaining as you can probably guess. Sure. And so, you know, there's a certain level of salespeople that we've lost over the last year, you know, just because California is expensive and people can work at home and they can now live, you know, closer to their parents or whatever, whatever the issue is. So that's been our struggle. 
Wow. Yeah. I mean, nobody's been immune from the great resignation. There's no. just everybody's hiring no. and everybody's yeah. hiring because everybody's leaving and everybody's leaving because everybody's hiring and getting other opportunities. Right. So it, it's been a challenge. And I hear you on that training thing. And I think that across a lot of sectors, we're starting to see sort of these, these different shortfalls, Michael Vincent, but you know, he had your, we had your packaging up there and I found it very interesting because it did look like something that you would find just in the feminine health aisle um, at, yeah, at, your, at CVS or wherever. It doesn't have like pot leaves all over it and it isn't garish and it doesn't, you know, it doesn't have someone in like a, a do-rag or something. Uh, very, very deliberate choice, right? Are you trying to, are we at the phase here where we're trying to normalize this as a medication for a broader populace? No, absolutely. We, it was really important for us for our packaging to look like something that you wouldn't be embarrassed to have in your purse or on your bathroom counter. Um, because it is, it is something that we're using for wellness. It's, you know, it's not a recreational product. So I think, um, that was really important to us. Yeah, absolutely. So as you, as you grow now, you're only in California, but as you grow, how difficult is it to get out of there, right? You have to set up other operations in other states, right? right? Even those that are neighboring that also have legalized uh, marijuana, right? Exactly. So we cannot cross state lines. So um, if we want to set up in another state, we have to manufacture, source our product, manufacture our product and sell our product in that state. So we're looking into that, but um, it would be nice if they would you know, deschedule cannabis so it could make our job a lot easier. But um, we get emails every day from women asking, you know, can you sell it? Can you, you know, I'm in Kentucky or I'm in Massachusetts. I'm in all these different states. So we are looking into that for, for next year. Can we get some of these, you know, senators to try this stuff so they can realize that it, uh, um, it's yeah. 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 Amen. like Amen. most exactly. of the stuff we're talking about is so much less harmful than the drugs that are prescribed every day to people, the alcohol that you can buy on the shelf, and even some of the over-the-counter medications that, that people are buying, and even some of the supplements that are out there. It's wild that people can't treat themselves like this, and we definitely hope to see that changing. You know, and it's yeah. cool that we're starting to hear, at least recently, especially for us being in a place like Tennessee, where it seems like the only way it would happen here is for the federal government to to give the AOK, it does seem like there's getting to be more traction there. Do you think 2022 is the year? I don't know. It feels to me a little farther off than that. Maybe two, two more years, three more years. And um, I hope so. I hope, I hope it is next year, but we're, you know, we can hope. Well, Patty, we really appreciate what you're doing and how you're helping women, at least the ones that you can help right now as other states get legal, you'll be helping more. Mm -hmm. We're inviting you over for Thanksgiving to the What the Truck Thanksgiving dinner. What are you bringing to Ooh. our table? What am I going to bring? I, I have to bring stuffing. I make a great stuffing. There you go. All right. Beautiful. Beautiful. O oyster or how? how oyster. Yeah, sausage, you never had oyster sage. stuffing? Yeah. Sausage, sage. It's got a whole bunch of different things. Nice. In Delicious. Nice. Beautiful, Patty. Patty, well, so people who are in California, ladies who are in California who are interested in trying this or anyone who's interested in learning more information, where do we send them to? Uh, www.helloagainproducts.com. Instagram is also helloagainproducts.com. So come check us out. It's um, There's a lot of other information of just about what women are going through in our phase of life. So um, we're here very for cool. you. I appreciate yeah. it, Patty. Patty, very good. Thank you for joining us on the show. Excellent Thank you, stuff, guys. Man. Thanks for having me. Take care. Happy Thanksgiving. You, you know, too. This is a show. Holidays are coming up. But for some people, this is the most depressing time of the year. Yeah. This is a show we, we have. We don't like to shy away from mental health. We're more than happy to address. And this is Amen. a bit of well-being. And we're looking at uh, a cannabis and in, in, in sure. some facets and how that's impacted by the supply chain. Sure. Great resignation. Everyone trying to figure out how to make the job better, how to get people, how to make it sticky. One of the number one reasons I love remote work is I have pets, Michael Vincent. It makes uh, it sure. so much easier to deal with your dog when they're at home and not having to pay WAG or some dog walker to come by. Right. Right. Very right. much easier. 
easier. Well, our next guest, Mark Cushing, founder and CEO. He's the founder and CEO at Animal Policy Group. He's just put out a brand new book called Pet Nation. He's here joining us now, and he is a huge advocate for pets in the workplace. Mark, thanks for coming on the show. Good to be here. And that last conversation was interesting because one of the hottest issues right now in the veterinary and pet healthcare space is the use of cannabinoids. Um, oh, really? Same way, yeah. So it's, uh, I was listening with, with some interest. Now, when we have, when we take, we have a lab and she can get very anxious, especially like 4th yeah. of July when fireworks are going off. And um, last year we took her cross country because it was the middle of pandemic. So we had to drive from Tennessee back to Boston and back with her. And we gave her some of the, the CBD and it seemed to help. So I can totally see how the pet market is, is getting really excited and really interested in treating pets. Now, what's really cool is you wrote the, your book. I looked through some of it. It was talking about from the perspective of like millennials and millennials coming in leadership and how millennials think about their animals. And, and it made me start thinking about the great resignation. How do you make jobs stickier and, and things like pet insurance and pet policies and work from home or being able to bring your pet in all seem like great ways to do that. Mark, talk about it. What's the situation with pets and work life right now? There is a seminal study done by a good friend of mine, researcher, Carrie O'Hara, that blew everybody away. And I remember watching her presentation. She's now a partner in my group. Um, which showed that even non-pet owning employees like their company better, like their boss better, like their fellow workers better if it's a pet friendly company. Now you can be pet friendly in a lot of ways. You can allow dogs on the premises one day a week, every day if you want, once a month. You can have pet insurance, pet telemedicine benefits, paternity leave. So when you adopt or buy a pet, you get two weeks off as if you'd had a baby uh, and, 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 and similar things. And let me tell you, people began to wake up, still kind of smiled and said, yeah, that's cute, but it, it, isn't it messy and isn't, isn't it a hassle? Not really, but that was first blush. I think it's now a central issue in companies negotiating with millennials about coming back to work. What do they want to avoid? They want to avoid commuting. That makes sense. They, they like the freedom to be home some, but you know what they really want to avoid? Saying goodbye to their puppy or kitty. And or taking them to a daycare or bringing a sitter or just putting them in a crate the old fashioned way for the next 10 hours. And I, I know part of the issue is both staying at home with a pet or could we bring our pet to work? And those conversations are active right now. And I think they've picked, the, picked up the pace uh, dramatically. I'm sure they have, especially as we uh, a lot of people come back from the great work for, work from home experiment, yeah. and a lot of people are staying there. Do you think that that experiment and what is going on right now has, and not that it was really an experiment, but you think that has really lessened some of those uh, the the, the employee friendly office concerns? Yeah, yes, I, I think it has for sure. I mean, let me give you two examples, and let's go back twenty years, ten maybe, but let's say twenty to be safe. 20 years ago, if you saw a dog in a hospital, somebody was told to run, to hall, run down the hall and get the dog the hell out of the hospital, period. Mm -hmm. Today, you can't find a hospital that doesn't have an animal-assisted therapy dog in the hospital, multiple ones usually, who are part of treatment plans. So we've gone from no dogs allowed to you're part of the, the nursing team, if you will, to get the, pa the patient back uh, in good shape. Same thing with hotels. 20 years ago, walk into a lobby with a dog and it's like, hey, out of here certainly get the dog out of here. Now, national, very hip chains like Kempton's, Marriott, by the way, is fully pet friendly, but Kempton's has a wonderful policy. They have special floors for non-pet owners. Now, you told me 20 years ago that we'd have hotels saying, well, if you don't like pets or have a pet, you could stay on the fourth floor. 
just understand that the rest of the hotel is completely pet friendly and watch wherever you step. Um, so the, the mentality's changed. It preceded millennials. They were the kids, if you will, at the time it began to change. But millennials and Gen Zs, have it's like a, uh, on steroids now. And, and what they want for their pets is what they have for themselves, food, health care, amenities, access, you name it. And that's not changing. It's not a fad. That's just only going to pick the pace up. You know, yeah, instead of like after. smoking and non-smoking now, it's like pet or, or no pet for, yeah. for the floor yeah. at the hotel. Yeah. Um, yeah. We deal with, so we a lot of our listeners are in offices and a lot of our listeners are also in a different type of office, a truck, right? Yeah. I think we have some pictures of truck drivers with their dogs, so if you guys can show those. But have you looked into <laughs> the value in non-traditional offices and the retention there? Because I know, like I had a, we had a radio show on Sirius XM um, mm-hmm. and when I did a Dogs in the Cab episode, I never had more calls by drivers. People are incredibly passionate about their animals, uh, factory workers as well. Talk a little bit about that. Yeah, that, that's, those are great. So one of my clients, the largest veterinary group in the world is Mars Veterinary Health. It's the same Mars that has Snickers and M&Ms. A lot of folks don't know. Mars is the biggest player, both on pet food, but on veterinary practices around the world, particularly in the U.S. And their largest brand, if you will, is Banfield Pet Hospitals. And Banfields are in virtually every city of any size around the country, the I-5 corridor, and so you, you, you folks know that well. I've lived in Tennessee before, but I, I'm from the West, and I live out West now. From you know San Diego, from the Mexican border straight up to Vancouver, B.C., you take I-5. And Banfield has had for years a dedicated group of Banfield clients that bring their pets wherever they go, and they know along the way there's a Banfield pet hospital. They schedule regular wellness visits, vaccinations, get any problems addressed. And, and, and they're the most loyal, attentive pet owners Banfield's ever seen. So um, what you captured in, in those great picks is reality for veterinary practices. Uh, and and it's, I was surprised how systematic and organized it was. No, I like the uh, fraternity leave, but Michael Vincent, he's uh, a little bit older than me. Not 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 a that full on boomer, but he was kind of okay Close. boomering the fraternity cusp. leave. He was yeah. like, sure. I don't know about that one. What sell Michael, us on the <laughs> sell us on the fraternity Michael, leave. Michael, I'm, I'm a lawyer right off the bat, Michael. So these kind of ageist comments we can deal with. You know, <laughs> <laughs> Thank you very you, much for your support. You can, you can buy yourself a maybe Pappy Van Winkle bourbon for Thanksgiving, based on what we're going to do. Ooh, I, I think <laughs> I know what he's bringing to the table, my friend. Now he's representing you. Mark, hey, 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 Mark, can you talk yes. to us? These are all really cool. I mean, it, it's it's touchy, it's feely. For those touchy-feely CEOs and those that are watching the show that are like, yeah, that sounds all great. Where's the money behind it? Where's the science? Show me how, how's yeah. this going to improve things. Show me what's going to happen in my workforce if I do this. Two things. You said science and money. I'll cover each in 30 seconds. <laughs> right on. The science is called the human-animal bond. The Purdue University Veterinary Medical College Library has 32,000 entries related to studies, many of them peer-reviewed, that have confirmed people feel better around pets. Oxytocin level goes up. That's what makes you happy. Cortisol levels go down. That's stress, anxiety. That's what makes you feel bad. Being with pets for both the pet and the person improve that. And then we've looked at every form of situation from kids going in for cardio surgery who can use lower levels of pain meds if they've been with their dog right before surgery, example after example after example. So the science is now baked in. It's not, no one's skeptical anymore. And that's just a real fact. People and communities work better, feel better, get better around pets. 
The money side is even easier to answer. Wall Street woke up about three years ago and said, why the hell have we missed out on pet? You know, who wasn't paying attention to that? And Wall Street money is flooded into the pet space, into the veterinary practices, into the suppliers, into pet food and the pet pharmaceuticals and so forth. It's one of the fastest growing investment areas. And the last two years, the pet related economy, with a couple exceptions, mainly boarding because people were at home, the pet related economy has surged. It's now expected to go from this year at 110 to 115 billion dollars to just under $300 billion in seven years. And, and you, can't, you, you can't find another sector, uh, maybe it's there, but I haven't seen it that's gonna outdo that or outperform that. Now, Mark, you had a book that just came out at the end of September. We got a picture of it here, show the audience. It's Pet Nation, the inside story of how companion animals mm-hmm. are transforming our homes, culture, and economy. It's available on Amazon. I think you can also get it in audiobook and in Kindle. As well, it's talking a lot about what you were talking on here. Very, very cool. I implore everyone out. You know, sounds like a great holiday gift to give out. Mark, if people want to learn more about you, where do they go? Uh, MarkLCushing.com. The L is for Lewis, my dad's middle name, and the name of my uh, Papillon puppy over here, Louis. I have to use a French pronunciation, Louis the the Papillon puppy, who lives to chase desert lizards. And Get yourself a Papillon if you don't have one. But MarkLCushing.com, my group is... AnimalPolicyGroup.com. That's a mouthful, but you'll find it interesting. And we we are active in all 50 states in D.C. on any political, regulatory, any strategic issues involving pets or pet health care. So thanks for having me on your show. It's a great uh, – I knew about you guys, so I was waiting for the chance cool. to – Exciting. Awesome. Well, Mark, we're bringing you to our Thanksgiving Christmas party, the What the Truck, I mean, uh, Thanksgiving party. What are you bringing to the table? Going to surprise people. This is my, my wife has anatomy at Mayo Clinic here in, in Scottsdale, and she's a gourmet chef, UT PhD from Louisiana. She's a Cajun. And she decided we have, we have 12 friends over who don't have any Arizona ties, so we just have a great party. And we're starting off with a three-foot-tall seafood tower. Wow. Knowing that like the it. turkey's behind, you know, you can, you're going to get to the turkey, you're going to get to everything else, but, but you can't have enough Alaska king crab legs, lobster, and shrimp, and, and oysters in your life, right? So anyway, <laughs> I'd bring that, and I think the tower would be gone in like 10 minutes. Oh, yeah. Well, so no, no issue. Happy Thanksgiving. little cowbell for you. Thank right. you, and thanks for sharing uh, the story of Pet Nation. We enjoyed it. Take care. Right on. Good. Hey, we got a heck of Take a care. Thanksgiving dinner. I know. We so started far. out a little rough with Steve Ferreira trying to only give us uh, a deck of cards. He, he, he but just then stay away really from him up. after you eat. He's going to take your money. Then, well, then it really advanced. Because like, then the guy was bringing those vapes, right? The, the THC some, vapes for us. Some and then vapes. We, we got yeah. sausage stuffing. Turducken. Turducken. A lot going on. All right. Big deal, little yeah. deal. Then we'll send you off. Big deal. What do we got? Big deal. All right. The Labor Department has sued Pankar over firing a worker who publicly questioned their COVID safety policies. Big deal, little deal, dude. Uh, yeah, this is this is a tough one. Um, it, it's a big deal for making this big, this kind of a mistake, right? Because, yeah. I mean, the way the story goes, the way I understand it is, the guy is part of the Chamber of Commerce. The Commerce put out a thing, said, hey, ask questions about it because it was during COVID and, and the height of everything going on. They just sure. went into emergency or whatever. Send us questions you would ask, the, I think, the, the mayor of the town there in, in Texas. Uh, and that's what he did. He asked them about what is the plant going to do or could do. And they said, yeah. well, hey, you should ask the plant. And they forwarded it to Packard and then they fired the guy. So it's kind of a big deal because it was kind of a mistake type of thing. Right. I mean, yeah. 
It just seems ridiculous. It, anyway, I'm tough. Crazy. I'm sure that's not the only story. I'm sure that's not the only person who's been fired for questioning no, COVID policies. No, for not either. questioning it. And then that's all he was. He was concerned. It was right yeah. during the big thing. But uh, So listen to this, my friend. Here, big deal, a little bit. According to CDL Life, a representative from Kansas has introduced a bill aimed at incorporating more female drivers into the trucking industry, right? So a bill was introduced by U.S. Representative Sharice Davids of uh, Kansas that would require the establishment of a board focused solely on women in trucking. Mm-hmm. Bringing them to the table. Yeah. Big deal, little deal. I think it's great because the bill I was looking into, and it's going to provide education, training, mentorship, and outreach to women in the trucking industry. Now, mm. once in a while, you get the you get the dudes out there who goes like, why is there a women in trucking conference? Or why is oh, there God. this? And Come it's on. like, because have you been to a regular one? There is a, there's disparity. There's only yeah. 7% women behind That'd the cab. Be so we got to be honest with ourselves. We as an industry are not doing a great job of attracting and retaining women. Yeah. So I think that in those cases, those are use cases for bills to be passed. Because the private sector isn't doing a good enough job, but we could be doing a good enough job and give repre- more representation to people. That's the entire point of the law, in my opinion. Uh, yeah, my, I, I'm, I'm with you there. I think it's a big deal. I think it's important, and it should be done. How about this one? A Massachusetts woman and TikTok user has shared how she mistook one of her AirPods for an 800-milligram ibuprofen. She swallowed it, according to Apple Insider. She says, I was crawling into bed. I had an ibuprofen 800 in my right hand, and in my left, I had an AirPod. Let's see, do I have a prop here? In her left, she's got the, the AirPod. I don't have an ibuprofen, but, you know. It's a good you, thing it wasn't a remote control. She says, uh, <laughs> or one of those suppositories. She says, I, she says, I threw something back, took my water bottle, and took a sip. Then I realized it wasn't the ibuprofen. She tried puking it up, and it wouldn't come up. Eventually, it did pass through the natural course of things, and she said she will not be putting this back in her ear. Big deal or little deal, Michael Finn? How did that happen? I mean, yeah, it's, uh, uh, I'm saying I'm saying it's a little deal, but I agree with you. It's a good thing she didn't have one of those suppositories in her hand. Yeah, <laughs> that would have been a problem. Well, <laughs> big deal, little deal. CMA CGM Group will donate and distribute two thousand turkeys to Savannah families. Yeah. for this this Thanksgiving, Thanksgiving supporting feed the hungry. Now, here's the other thing. Uh, Ed Eldridge, president CMA CGM Partners and APL North American, will be on site and available for interview views as well will be representative carl gilliard now 130,000 americans across the country is what their aim is through these charitable donations sure big deal middle deal yeah 12,000 turkeys are uh, coming into the port of savannah hell yeah down here southeast yeah of course a big deal good good job by you cma cgm i wonder Mm -hmm. if that's because charlie the came over there in their uh (laughs) development lab maybe he has a good influence are they turduckins or just straight up turkeys i don't know but here's our last (laughs) one of the day farm bureau's 36 annual survey indicates the cost of this year's classic thanksgiving feast for 10 is 5331 yeah uh that is six dollars and four or 14 that's a 14 percent increase from last year's average of 46.90 um I was looking at the listing here. You don't get any beverages. You don't get any appetizers. You well, get you a 16 pound of turkey. Milk. There's a gallon of milk, right? You here. get two frozen pie crust, 30 ounces of pumpkin pie mix, uh, whipped cream. I mean, I feel like I can barely take a basket up to the register these days and get out of there for less than 100 bucks. Um, I, I tell you this we're not getting a turducken. We're not getting a three foot tower of seafood. Not, not with that. Yeah. Well, w- w- good thing that they're bringing all that extra stuff now because if we're, are you holding, are you going to hold the family to the budget of 5331? I already did. Yeah. You need no, approval? I this every year. Last year was 40. Sign off on it? Yeah, absolutely. Hey, everybody, it's been a great year so far. Thank you for joining us on this Thanksgiving episode. We will be back next Monday. We're breaking for the holiday. There will be a What the Truck newsletter tomorrow, so subscribe to that freightwaves.com slash WTT. Find us on Twitter in the meantime, at Timothy Dooner. That's at Vincent the Dude. Hey, tell them how to be this Thanksgiving. Hey, peace and love. Spread it everywhere like gravy.